Hey everyone, welcome to Pink Shade with Aaron Martin, the podcast where we talk about all the shows we're addicted to, plus the reality stars we love, even when we're giving them the side eye. I have so much reality TV dish to serve up this week, and so much to talk about with certain shows, <clears throat> The Bachelor, that um, kind of blew our minds this week, or maybe didn't blow our minds because we already knew what a dirtbag we were dealing with. But before we get into the shows, I need to give you some exclusive, exclusive scoop that I have from our very own Jana from Love After Lockup. Jana was really wanting to come on the podcast. I was dying for her to come on the podcast, but she could not because of WeTV. They are cock blocking all of their stars right now. I say stars in quotes. For unknown reasons. Apparently, James went rogue and did a podcast anyway, and everyone is very pissed about that. But the producers say that they're going to keep me on their distribution list for media in the future, and they're just not allowing their talent to do any recorded or live interviews at this time. Okay, so here is my workaround for that. I've been communicating with Jana, and she was disappointed that WeTV isn't allowing her to do this, and so I asked, can we just propose some questions to you, and you answer them in writing, and then I will share them on my podcast. And she said, sure. So I got some questions from you guys in the Facebook group, and for those of you listening out there, if you haven't joined the Pink Shade with Aaron Martin Facebook group, head over there. All your reality TV besties are just waiting to dish with you. It is so much fun. You guys come up with such great intel. I can't believe it. Amazing, amazing work. It is like the CIA of reality TV, I swear. So anyway, you guys came up with some great questions. I had some questions of my own. I mean, we all basically wanted to know the same thing. So I sent over a big list of questions to Jana, and I said, just ditch the ones you don't want to answer, you know, answer the ones you have time for. Any intel you can give us about what went on behind the scenes, what's really going on with Garrett and this Nellie chick, what you wish we would have seen, you know, the production didn't show, all of that stuff. We would love to know. So she comes back with, I mean, six, seven pages of answers, you guys. It it was amazing. Jana, if you're listening, thank you for taking the time to do that. And I'm going to share a large part of it on the podcast today. So it's going to be me interviewing the ghost of Jana, who is just coming to us through my voice. And uh, I'm not even going to try to do an impression because I can't. I can't do impressions. All right, so we're going to do that first. We're going to talk about reality TV shows this week. We are going to touch on Waco at the end, the Paramount seven-week series that just ended last week. And I have to admit, I, I put off watching the finale for a night or two because I knew it was going to be really tough to watch, and it was actually tougher than I even predicted. If you watched it with me or if you're planning on watching it, I'd love to hear from you. I know that one listener, Meg, who I am going to talk to on a future podcast, I think about 90 Day Fiance because we're both huge fans, of course, but Meg watched this with me and she found it to be just as heartbreaking and um, I know that some of you out there probably struggled with it too. So we're going to just talk about that in terms of the cult stuff I touch on in this podcast, because it was really interesting to me on a personal level, also having lived through it. But as a teenager, you know, I, I really didn't know the whole story and not saying that TV gave us the whole story, but it just, like I said, it raised a lot of questions. So anyway, that's going to be our podcast today. Jana Tells All, Reality TV, Little Bit of Waco. And then we're done until next week. So let's get ready and let's do it. All right. So without further ado, here is my interview haha, with Jana from Love After Lockup. I am going to tell you the questions I asked her, and I'm going to read you uh, many of her responses, and we can talk about this over on the Facebook group, see what we think of this. Here we go. 
All right, first of all, I asked Jonette, how did this show find you? Because as we know, this was a brand new show. No one had ever heard of it before because it was first season. Um, we know that the 90 Day Fiance producers are behind it, and that's why it was so fucking amazing. And we know now that for season two, they're putting all calls out there for people who are dating inmates. So they're trying to round up people by contacting them. I wasn't sure if that's how the first show was gone about. Is that That's a horrible phrasing, but you guys know what I mean. I wasn't sure if that's how they went about casting the first show, if they just like kind of scoured cities and, and had people write into them. Jonna says, though, they the show found her through Facebook. She also says she was not prepared for how the show made her look. Quote, the hate I got was very difficult to stomach as I didn't feel like the viewers were getting the full picture. I asked her if there were scenes or storylines in her actual life with Garrett or before or after her relationship with him. And they just didn't make the show somehow or it made it look different. And here's what she said. Quote, there were three scenes that didn't make the cut that I wish would have. One was when Garrett and my dad went golfing. Another was dinner with Garrett's family. The last was a dinner after our failed elopement where viewers would have gotten to meet my mom. Now, this was interesting to me because I specifically asked her, is your, is your mom in the picture? You know, we only saw your dad and we saw your dad have pretty strong opinions. And she, obviously her mom is in the picture, but they chose to cut that out. I wonder if it's because her mom and she didn't have like the dramatic interactions that Jonna had with her dad. Also, I think it's interesting that they they ended the season at that failed elopement, if we're going to call it the failed elopement, and didn't do any of the aftermath because I would have wanted to see that. You know, I don't know. Maybe, it, but it's more dramatic, I guess, if you if you end the season on the elopement day. I asked her next if um, there was something that she wished viewers would know about her that we didn't see on the show. And here's what she had to say. Quote, something I want viewers to know is that I wasn't looking for a relationship with an inmate. I knew Garrett when I was young. I randomly thought of him one day because I was working where we had originally met. I remembered he used to like me when we were kids, and I always thought he was cute, so I figured maybe we would catch up. I had no clue he was in prison. I searched for him on social media, and when I couldn't find him, I asked around to mutual friends and found out he was in prison. Curiosity got the best of me, and well, you know the rest. Yes, we do know the rest. However, I wonder... Mm, I, I I wish I could really have Jonna on the show to carry on this conversation or ask a follow-up question here because I wonder then how this began a relationship. I mean, did she, was she really had to be seeking something out with this person who she knew when she was young? I think it was elementary or middle school, but I don't know, whatever. It was kind of hilarious because she was actually all over social media right after the first episode, I think, aired. Because the what WeTV made it look like is that she was just trolling dating websites for inmates. And she, so she's defending herself, saying she wasn't doing that. And we all know that at this point, if, if we've been keeping up with her social media, because obviously the story is a bit different than that, but it's still kind of funny to me that she still pursued him, um, even though he was in prison. And it's not that like they dated in high school, had a relationship, even a semi-serious one. And then she found him. I really think it was like extreme pre-adolescent puppy love, but Jana, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Okay. Here is a question that one of you asked her, and I thought it was brilliant because she never really addressed this on the show. One of you were wondering how much money did she invest in Garrett? you know, overall. Here's what Jana says to that. Quote, I honestly was very lucky in the financial aspect of being a prison wife. Garrett's father supported him financially. I maybe sent him a hundred bucks total over the course of four years. But then Jana kind of goes on to explain it might've been more than four than a hundred bucks because she says, I did spend a lot of money getting to visit and accepting phone calls though. I also started buying him clothes when he had two years left. I would get him like one shirt 
or a pair of pants every time I got paid so that when he went to work release, he would have a decent wardrobe. We also were into buying each other expensive gifts when he came home, so he has a couple of nice watches and other designer clothes. So do I from him, though. Okay. Um, I don't know what the truth is about this. I'm believing that Jana didn't spend like a huge amount of money maybe on him. Like we're seeing with like, say Scott and Lizzie, $20,000 on Lizzie is what Scott spent. And now he spent another 14 K on her legal fees because she can't even manage to behave in prison so she can get out on her release date. But from all accounts of the stories we've seen, you know, you are sending this prisoner money. And it sounds like she did that too in the form of clothes, you know, a hundred bucks, um, maybe is the cash she sent him, but she also admitted to buying a house so that he could live with her. And, you know, on her office manager salary, that had to be with the help of a family member, maybe not Jana, I don't know, but it, you know, her investment was quite a bit larger than a hundred bucks, I would assume with all of this stuff. And that's part of the allure, I would think, of the prisoner. I mean, right? It's financial. It's financial support. As we see with Angela and Tony, who are obviously not going to make it, Angela is like living on a dollar so she can send Tony 200 every month. And God knows what he's spending that on. Anyway, let's move on. I asked her if dating an inmate was tough. I mean, I know the answer to that is yes, but I wanted to know why? You know, why, why do it? Why, why even pursue something like this? So here's what Jana said, quote, dating an inmate was tough. I never pictured myself doing it, but Garrett was always really good to me. People can say that was just because he was in prison, but I know a lot of women who dealt with men treating them poorly while locked up. <laughs> to me, that was really kind of funny. Cause I'm like, <laughs> okay. So if you're dating an inmate and, and they're treating you like shit, what the fuck is in it for you? I mean, the only reason I can think of to date an inmate is because they would worship your ass because you're free. You send them money, you come visit them, you provide hope. So if you're being abused in a relationship by an inmate, that's a whole different show. I mean, that's kind of, that's really next level pathetic. So I thought it was God crazy that she's telling me she knows other people who are treated treated poorly by their inmate boyfriends or girlfriends. She says, at first, my friends and family thought I was just going through a phase, but after years, they saw I was serious about him. All right, moving on to this Nelly bitch who Garrett is living with now, apparently, and it's the stripper or the woman who claims she was a bartender at a strip club, wink, wink, whatever. This Nelly or Miss Natural, I don't even, I don't really understand who she is other than she's Garrett's new boo. Basically, she is coming after Jana hardcore on social media and Garrett is being an ass too. And he's living with this chick. He's always posting selfies with like heart filters around their heads. It's super juvenile. Jana doesn't know a whole lot about her, but here's what she said. Quote, I don't know much about Nellie. What I gather from social media is that I may have been wrong all along. Okay, bombshell, you guys. It seems Garrett... This is her... I'm quoting her right now. It seems Garrett was seeing her before we broke up. I didn't find out about her until they used my address once she got arrested. Now I'm going to pause here because if you don't know this story yet, quick recap is Garrett was out with this chick while he was living with Jana and they got arrested for something and Nellie gave or Garrett gave his address with Jana at her house to the cop. And so Jana starts getting these notifications from the police that Nellie, you know, had a court date or whatever was going on with this arrest. And she's like, who is this bitch? So Garrett lied about it and then finally came clean, you know, that it was just some, some girl he was friends with, but she, Jana is basically confirming they were probably stepping out, you know, before he moved out. Here is another bombshell though, the actual bigger one. Cause we sort of knew the other stuff. She says, I found out probably a month and a half after they were actually in a serious relationship the L word, love, was even being dropped. They now live together. 
I wouldn't say she harasses me, but she sure makes it known she is not a fan of mine via social media. Oh, and of course she's threatened to beat me up or shoot me. I'm not 100% sure as her posts aren't always very clear to me. Okay, Jana, girl, slow clap to you. That was some pretty funny shade because it's true. Nellie's posts are almost unreadable. Like, I don't know if she's using that English, English, English to, to English translator app that Paul uses with Karini, but they're like super fucked up. So that's funny. Yeah. They're not always clear, but I guess she has threatened to shoot her or beat her up. So I would call that harassment, yo. I asked, what's the deal with Garrett's family? Because Johnny even alluded earlier in her answers that Garrett's dad supported him in prison. And then we know when he gets out, his grandmother gives him money for financing his car or for a down payment on his car. His father's giving him money for the ring. And I'm like, where are they? Why weren't they shown? Well, as Jonna said, they didn't show the scenes with his family. Also interesting. It's like they were painting Jonna as the only support system for Garrett so she could be his warden, you know, the, the person who was controlling him, but he had a family in the background. And Jana says Garrett's family loves him very much. She also says, which really surprised me, that her dad and Garrett actually ended up forming a relationship and that her father was actually really disappointed that she and Garrett went their separate ways. I don't know, man. Daddy Jana, I need to hear you saying that on camera to believe that, but we'll go with it for now. All right, girl. Okay, we'll, we'll believe you for now. You know, there's a lot we don't see. I asked Jana um, from one of your questions on the Facebook group, what was her relationship life like before Garrett? Because she would allude to it, and she seems like a pretty suspicious chick, like some shit happened to her in the past. And I also wondered... What was Garrett's past relationship life like? I mean, he was he was like a teenager when he went into prison, so he really had no adult relationships. But here's what Jonna had to say. Quote, before Garrett, I had two other serious relationships. One ended briefly because I found out that he kissed another girl two months into dating me. We ended up getting back together and trying to work it out, but ultimately it didn't work. My relationship after that was a little more serious. He actually ended up moving to Florida with me from Massachusetts. It sounds like that's where Jana's originally from, you guys, also. She mentions this later on, too. Um, so this next boyfriend was unfaithful. He, she says he was unfaithful at one point as well, but I forgave him. While I had my ups and downs with them, the breakups were very civil, and neither one moved on as quickly as Garrett. This, meaning Garrett was by far the worst breakup I've had. Yeah, obviously. And it was also on TV, which sucks. Okay. I asked her, you know, after this experience she's had, not only on TV, but just dating an inmate in this, I mean, wasting, she wasted four plus years of her life. Would she ever do some crazy shit like this again? Because you just hope that, you know, when you make mistakes like this, and please, I've made crazy, crazy mistakes in my life. Years long mistakes, I will admit to. Um, You hope you learn from them. So I asked her, would you do it again? Or looking back, would you do this all over again? Here's what she says. Quote, I would never date another inmate again, but not because of what Garrett did to me, but just because it's tough. You are lonely. It's pretty expensive. Okay. We're getting a clue here that that hundred bucks she talked about earlier was not just a hundred bucks. It's pretty expensive and you're always worried about them. It's not just something, it's just not something I would want to go through again. I used to cry often and pray asking God to help me understand why I was choosing this path. And I convinced myself it was because Garrett was my soulmate and we were going to help each other be better people. Of course, now all I can do is LOL at that theory but I do still believe everything happens for a reason and look forward to the reason for all this mess being revealed one day. Well, good for her. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a better answer than some would give. And I appreciated that answer, but we'll see. I mean, time will tell if Jenna really does learn from this or if she just goes on to another crazy ass relationship. And if she films it for TV, which leads me to the last topic 
which is obviously, are you doing more TV, Jana? Because we have seen online that she has signed up with Mama June's manager, Gina Rodriguez, I think her name is. And that does not bode well for anyone. I don't I mean, it was probably a great thing for Jana, who really seems like she wants to stay in TV somehow. But I was like, oh, Mama June's manager. I don't know, girl. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to see her in pageants or doing some kind of Mama June show. It's like, oh, if she could only stay with the 90 Day Fiance crew. I mean, they make some crazy trash TV, but it's watchable. Unlike to me, and this is my own opinion, Mama June, which is completely unwatchable. But who knows? Anyway, she signed up with her. And then when I asked her, are you like, are you really looking for another TV show? Because it truly seems like this girl is. Here's what she said. Quote, I am for sure open to doing more TV, but as of right now, there is nothing in the works. I am working with Gina Rodriguez now, and I'm very excited to see what she has in store for me. Now, we know that she probably has some ideas or concepts on the table, but we're not going to find out what they are yet. Other than that, future plans or other than future plans related to TV, I'm trying to move out of Florida to get a fresh start. I know people may think it's because of Garrett, but really before I reconnected with him, I was planning to leave Florida and go back to Massachusetts, but I ended up staying because of my relationship. Now I'm going to pause here because if you've seen her post on social media recently, she announced that she's moving to Austin. So Texas, John is coming for you. She has posed in her cowboy boots, and she is moving there presently with her dog, I think. I thought she rehomed her dog. She would posted something about that, but now she's been posting pictures with her again. Anyway, hope the dog's out of the cage. All right, back to Jana's answers about what she learned from this whole experience. She says, I learned a lot from this. I mean, honestly, I've never experienced this level of betrayal, so it really opened up my eyes. Garrett was my best friend. I trusted him with not only my secrets, but my life to see how quickly he moved on and how easily he told this girl private things about me and let her twist them and share them with the world just really made me take a step back and think about who I can actually trust. And that's where she ended it. Um, Like I said before, I hope she has learned something from this. I really appreciate her answering these questions. The the new things I learned from this are her, her admission that there was more family stuff behind the scenes that we didn't see, that they weren't as isolated as the producers were leading us to believe, that Garrett has financial and family support coming his way. It sounds like big time from his father and, as we know, his grandmother. And so he wasn't really as trapped with Jana as he was making it out to be. And he was likely using her. I mean, he is really acting like a stupid fucking fool that he is right now online. He's just posting all of this stuff about, I mean, he wants to be a star. And okay, I think Jana is kind of acting a little bit thirsty too, but Garrett was on there because he was a felon. Jana was on there because she was a character. So if we're going to put our reality TV hats on, we have to admit that Jana is bound to do another reality TV show before Garrett is. I mean, for sure. Garrett is done. He's he's never going to do another show. The only thing interesting about him was that he came out of prison. Jonna, I'd watch you again. I'd watch you again on a different show. Maybe a show where like it's like a fix my life show or you can you know, go through some kind of outward bound experience that transforms you and, you know, you almost, you almost die, but live through it and you see the light and you, you get into a healthy relationship and, and you talk about your old ways on WeTV and we all reminisce about your shower cap and I don't know, you gave us some good TV. So thank you. And I'm going to continue to follow her. I want to see what happens. Garrett can go kick rocks because he's done. He's totally done, and I'm glad for that. Let's move on. Okay, we are going to move on to this week's biggest topic in reality television, which is The Bachelor. Whether you watch it or not, I guarantee you've heard about what went down with our boy, Ari, who I have openly hated since the very beginning. 
I just got back into watching The Bachelor this season because I started recapping it over on 22 Words, and then we kind of nixed the recaps for other articles. And it it's no it's no wonder why, because Ari's just so boring, and the season just kind of sucked, and ugh, I kept watching it, though, because I started it. You know, I just, it's like reading a book for me. I even finish the bad books. I'm just one of those people. If I start something, I finish it, and so I finished it. And I'm glad I did, because the ending was worth it, just in a reality TV sense. So you've heard what Ari has done. Look what we made him do. He dumped the woman he proposed to, Becca, for the runner-up, Lauren, who has the personality of a potato. She is almost a mute, I would say, except we've heard her speak here and there. She has almost zero thoughts active in her head at any given time, except for the running question, does this guy like me enough? Does he love me? Is he going to dump me? And that's about it. That's a wrap with her personality. Her personality is a zero. Becca, who originally was proposed to, who won The Bachelor, she has a personality. She seems like a decent girl. Her only flaw is that she was into Ari, which then makes me not like her either. Because I'm like, any woman who falls for this douchebag has got problems. Okay, but let me back up. First of all, who agrees now, now that you've seen the entire thing, what went down, that Ari truly needs to be beaten with a shoe until that dumb, smirky look is wiped off of his face? I feel physically violent when I when I see him. I'm just like, oh my God, someone needs to assault him. I go like bad girls club in my head. Also, who agrees that this season of The Bachelorette, which will be starring Becca, the jilted lover will be just one long, hardcore Ari roast. I think I might actually watch The Bachelorette just to see that. Because we already saw it with the after the final rose when they announced that Becca would be The Bachelorette, which everyone kind of predicted after they did her so dirty. We already saw it with the dudes they trotted out. This, oh my God, so cringeworthy. That guy with the fucking banjo. Oh my God. Anyway. They were already roasting Ari in that. They're like, we apologize on behalf of all mankind, you know, for what happened to you. It's going to be one long season of everybody hates Ari. Ari's the worst person on the planet. So I think I might tune in just to see that shit because that seems pretty funny to me. And I just, I live for that. Quick recap of what happened in case you couldn't bring yourself to watch it. You've probably heard, but Ari proposed to Becca in Peru with a shit brown river rushing behind him, metaphorically representing the entire season to me and also what was to come. It was like the theme was dysentery, which is pretty much death by explosive diarrhea. And so the shit brown river is running behind him. He proposes. He tells her, I love you today. I will love you forever. He spits all of these lies, which he's just totally comfortable doing since he's a fucking sociopath. Then they show this footage of Becca and Ari, you know, doing fun couple stuff like brushing their teeth together. Hi, Married at First Sight. They stole your bit. They show them stretching pizza dough, you know, stuff we all like to do with our spouses. No. And they show then flash forward a couple months later, Becca in LA at a house they rented for their reuniting so that they can be reunited before after the final rose and basically since the time in between Peru and this LA rental Becca has been living in Minnesota she's been communicating with Ari they've been talking about buying a property in Arizona but since he's such a shitty realtor I'm sure he couldn't even find one and since he also probably has no income he couldn't afford one that's my take on that But they have been kind of fine, according to Becca. According to Ari, they have not been fine. In fact, he reached out to Lauren on New Year's Eve, and he is wanting to get back with her. He, of course, doesn't tell Becca this outright. He tells Chris Wanker Harrison on camera that these are his mixed feelings. 
And Chris Wanker Harrison just does the whole nod. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what are you going to do? You know, how can we support you? Well, how they can support him at ABC is give him a camera crew to go basically confront Becca about this on film. And Chris kept saying during the, after the final row or during the finale night, this is the first unedited, uncut moment of reality TV ever before seen. It was like such bullshit. I tweeted out that Chris Harrison obviously never saw Snooki take a punch to the face on Jersey Shore because that shit was the first unedited, uncut scene and still remains to this day the most shocking moment of reality TV ever, ever. That's my number one pick for most shocking moment. So Chris Harrison can go suck it. But anyway, they do show this whole scene of Ari sitting down with Becca, who's like showing off her ring to the cameras, like, oh my God, it's so big. I'm so happy. You know, producers were pumping her up, being like, are you so excited? You know, you're going to see Ari today. And she's all smiles. You know, she's got her suitcase there. She's ready for the, to be reunited with her fucking man, who is a piece of shit. And Ari comes in all hangdog-faced. You know, he sits her down. And he tells her, basically, he can't stop thinking about Lauren. He wakes up in the morning thinking about her. He goes to bed thinking about her. And in the most shocking language ever, which I just could not get out of my mind, he says to the woman he's engaged to, who he got down on one knee and proposed to and told her he loved her forever. He says to her, you know, I think hanging out with you just prevents me from ever having a chance to rekindle that relationship with Lauren. Okay. All right. Let's pause here a moment to break down this statement. Can you imagine your fiance coming to you and saying that hanging out with you is preventing him from rekindling another relationship? Yeah. Hanging out with. People are picking apart all kinds of things about this scene, this long, drawn-out scene of then Becca crying and him hanging around like a creepy stage five clinger, knocking on doors like he has to take a shit and she's in the bathroom too long. It was just all so awkward and weird. But I could not get that statement out of my mind because that's Ari. He doesn't really... It's like he's not really a human. He's just mimicking human behavior. And it came out in that statement for me, where he claimed that hanging out with her was preventing him from rekindling his feelings with Lauren. It's like, dude, you're not hanging out with this bitch. You just proposed to her. She's wearing a ring on her finger that you didn't buy, that you gave to her, claiming you wanted to have babies with her and make a life with her and buy some shitty property in Scottsdale. This guy is just such a turd. I mean, Twitter has said it all. I don't need to repeat everything that he's been called because it's just obvious he needs to be voted off of the island. All men need to turn their backs on him and discount them as one of their own because he is just the worst. Worst! The whole bringing in Jason Mesnick, too, who, as, as it's called now, pulled to Jason Mesnick, which is basically what Ari did, bringing him in to talk about, you know, oh, what Ari should have done differently or, you know, Molly and Jason saying, well, this will make he and Lauren stronger. I thought that was just such bullshit. That's like bringing on, you know, the serial killer from 1980 to talk to the 2017 or 18 serial killer about it's going to be okay. It's like, don't bring on this dude who fine, it worked out for him, but he handled it so poorly too. And he kind of ruined one girl's moment at happiness also to, to tell this next douchebag, it's going to be okay for you too. It's like, why were people being brought on to make Ari feel better? No, I'm not here for that. And I'm recording this on International Women's Day, so I'm going to get fired up on behalf of all women. Jason Mesnick and Molly should not have been brought in to make the dude feel better. Ari should have just been roasted, period. If he wants to follow his heart and he wants to act like a a total dick, 
then that's fine. But then you get treated like a total dick. You don't get forgiven. And you certainly don't get dicks from years past coming on to talk to you about how one day you won't be a dick. Maybe, maybe not. For Ari, I think he is not, there's a core issue here. He doesn't care who the hell he proposes to because his cardigan wearing carcass ain't never gonna marry anyone. I'm throwing down that gauntlet now. Lauren, you too, honey. You're not getting married to this guy. And if you are, you are going to be in for a lifetime of heartache. Because unless you ban him from Instagram, he is going to be sliding into the DMs of randos all over the world. He is not a one-woman guy. Reality Steve spoiled this ending ages ago and dug into Ari's pre-show relationships and outed him as a serial cheater a womanizer, and a fame whore. He probably lobbied to get this bachelor spot. I mean, who the fuck thought he was a good choice? I have no idea. ABC probably loves him now, though, because the finale brought in such high ratings and it's bringing in all the press. And look, I'm sitting here talking about it. I can't believe I'm talking about Ari. I'm giving it life. My core issue with Ari is that he made sure... Lauren would take him back before dumping Becca, and then he did it on camera, which makes him the lowest possible piece of pond scum there is. And he also ruined two women's proposal stories, because let's think about it. I mean, the first scenario where he proposed to Becca, where she has to watch that back over and over again, was all just a sham. And so that she, when she said to him on the couch, which was her only moment where I thought she got any kind of, I don't know, she got any kind of like, yeah, comeuppance or oh, that's not the right word, but you know what I mean? It's like she got in, she got in a good point because she was just too forgiving of him. I think she said, you know, you robbed me of my proposal. I'll never be proposed to for the first time again. And yes, she signed up for this stupid fucking show. I realize. But I feel like she was kind of in it, you know? I feel like she was, she would have married his stupid ass. I don't know who's to say. But he robbed her of that because he just proposed to her and then just rethought it all immediately. So he wasn't even serious. But then he chose to propose to Lauren on stage at after the final rose to like tepid applause from the audience who was just full on mean mugging him the entire time. I mean, would you want that to be your proposal story also? Like, would you not kill yourself if either of these scenarios were your story? For me, he just ruined it all. Everything he touches turns to feces. And so he not only ruined Becca's story, he ruined Lauren's. And he's he's in the process of ruining Lauren's life. Now, Lauren is such a zero. I don't really have much sympathy for her. But... You know, ugh, does anyone deserve Ari? I don't know. He's just awful. His dad is like just as awful too and shows where Ari came from because his dad basically said what Ari says, like, oh, I don't care. Whichever one is fine. You know, they both seem fine. That's Ari. These women are just a placeholder to him. And I said it before, they are interchangeable. He gets sick of them. He gets sick of them like old socks. He just wants to try in a new one. And he wants to feel the warm, fuzzy feelings of new makeouts. And he will be doing it soon to Lauren. Mark my words. My other core issue is that filming... Okay, so we, of course we wanted to see the breakup. Our, the darkest part of our little horrible hearts probably liked to see that moment. But the unedited, uncut thing that went on forever was just pathetic. And it also prevented Becca from reacting in a real way. That's what I hated about it most. Because you know, any chick who that was done to would react in a way more dramatic fashion had cameras not been in her, in her face. I mean, I'd like to think ABC would have had to turn on the bleep machine for me more than once. I mean, I think Becca only swore once. Good for her. That would not have been me. I'd like to also think I would have taken 
at least like two cameramen down with me in my attempt to snatch Ari bald because I would have, oh God, I would have flown across that couch at that dude. I also kind of dream about a scenario in the future in which Ari goes on other like D-list reality shows and has to face off with someone like NeNe Leakes in, in, on camera and someone really, really steps to him because he needs a female beatdown. And as we know, Lauren, the silent doormat, is not the woman to deliver it. Ari versus Bethany might be a really good moment as well. Let me think about this. Who do we want to see Ari have to face off with? Anyone who basically has a fire and and is also willing to maybe throw a punch. So maybe maybe Portia actually. Or Marlo. I don't know. We need to think about this. But Ari is definitely not done with reality TV. I picture him coming on many, many terrible shows in the future. And I picture Lauren gone. Because he is definitely not done playing the field. Such a piece of shit. Ugh. God. Ari, I hope this is the last we see of you for a while. I hope you're moving to a different country and that you can talk about how amazing and cool and wow it is with Lauren for a whole week before you get bored and that no one signs you up for anything on TV for at least another year because we need a break from you, dude. Becca, good luck to you, girl. Ugh. Moving on. Okay, quick rundown of some other shows this week. Of course, in Housewives news, you may or may not have heard that Bethany is possibly, probably, definitely on the outs with her co-stars right now for Real Housewives of New York. Um, There was a piece that ran in the Daily Mail just this week that I'll be talking a little bit more about this on the Jenny McCarthy show. So if you have Sirius XM stars, channel 109, Friday, March, oh my God, what date is it? March 10th, March 9th. Anyway, Friday (laughs) this week, I'll be talking to Jenny more about this, but it's interesting to me that Bethany has a little rift going on with Carol. And that is what is making her really upset right now. Apparently, Carol is just kind of done with Bethany being so aggressive. And since Carol is turning on Bethany, the rest of the New York ladies, with the exception of Sonia, according to reports, are kind of voicing what they've been feeling for a long time, which is that it's the Bethany show. She is obnoxious. She's aggressive. I still love the old Bethany when she comes, you know, those little bits of her that come out. I love her snark still. I want to see more of that, but her ego that takes over is getting in her own way. I mean, obviously. So people are turning, people are turning on her and I wonder if we're going to see this. I hope so. What we are definitely going to see is that Carol has a new haircut and she has been posting pictures that I swear to God make her look like an aging male rock star gone wrong. I mean, she looks so bad right now, and I am not look-shaming anyone for their looks. God forbid. I mean, we're all born with what we're born with, but her style right now is just really bad. It's a really bad style. Take a look at her Instagram or Ramona's Instagram, anyone's you're going to be shocked by how she looks. She looks like she's aged like 50 years. And it's also that thing where you just are so skinny. And when you age, it just becomes skeletal. She's just looking really, really haggard. And I don't know. She needs to eat a sandwich. She needs to get a different hairdo because it's like sort of Luann-esque, but longer, but looking super shaggy. It looks like Rod Stewart basically back when he was in Faces. That's who it looks like. Anyway, I'll get off of that. Luann is posing a lot in Furs by Pianos, promoting her cabaret show. She's looking hilarious. She is also writing a new song about falling in the bushes in Mexico, which I can't wait to hear. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills This week, my hatred for Dorit continued, as did probably almost everyone else's. But here is the the alert for me. My hatred of her, I think this week, surpassed my hatred and disgust of her husband, PK. Somebody hold me. This is very disturbing to me. 
She is overacting at such a high, obnoxious level. It's like she's trying out for the high school spring play. It's obscene. Even PK has been turning to her like, take it down a notch, fucking lunatic. It's so confusing to me that I'm seeing him as more palatable than her right now because he actually makes me skeeve, like my skin crawls when I look at him. But she is rubbing me the wrong way even worse right now. How crazy is that? It almost feels like how my sympathy for Jonathan unmarried at first sight is so wrong, but it's happening anyway, despite my will. I have no willpower over this. It's just happening. Um, I'm going to talk more about housewives on Jenny's show. I mean, Beverly Hills is Beverly Hills. There's some good, there's some bad. It's the Dorit show this year though. So because I don't like her. I don't even like her when she's being a villain, like how I like Rinna when she's a villain. It's just not doing it for me. There's there's something missing. LVP is showing her true icy self as expected. I feel like she is just long overdue, needs to ditch this show. She just needs to do Vanderpump Rules where she can be the school marm. I mean, she's very good in that role. And her on Beverly Hills is just feeling very stale. Speaking of Vanderpump Rules... Jax thinks pregnancy tests get shoved up women's vaginas and that he'd make a great father. Two news items that um, go great together, don't they? I can't believe that Brittany is actually laughing about um, maybe being pregnant by this guy. But more to the point, I cannot believe she is having unprotected sex with the West Hollywood number one patient zero STD carrier, allegedly, of all of the surrounding neighborhoods, possibly of the county, state, country, world. I don't know what level it's on, but she is playing with fire. Getting pregnant would be the least of her worries. I mean, I'm just hoping this girl doesn't die from having unprotected sex with Jax slash Jason. Can you imagine? That is like, I mean, this is beyond, beyond Paul's fear in the Amazon of getting something crawling up his wiener in the river. I mean, what is crawling up her when Jax crawls up her? Okay. We, we don't need to actually think about that in detail, but girl, get you to a free clinic because That pregnancy test, again, least of your worries. You need to get tested for many, many, many things. I thought it was funny to hear Lala thinking that we like to hear her in the studio and also that we like to hear the words, my man, every five seconds, kind of like Sheena with her Rob noxiousness. And I also thought the most hilarious thing about this episode was Tom and Tom thinking that they're adulting. them following Lisa Vanderpump around at stores being like, I like this vase. What do you think of this? And Lisa's like, whatever, I'm buying this. You guys are just here because I have to film with you. It's just ridiculous and stilted. And the fact that Katie keeps saying she's so proud of Tom for being a business man. Come on, Katie, you know, just give it up. Just be proud of Tom that he agreed to be parented by his new mom, Lisa Vanderpump because he's just still a kid. Both Toms are. Although I I have a soft spot in my heart for Sandoval. I do. I don't know why. I just do. Married at first sight. John and Molly, like I said, I continue to weirdly sympathize with John. What You guys tell me, am I just acting crazy? Am I selling out the sisterhood here? I don't know. I usually would never sympathize with someone like this because essentially I don't like his personality. I would never consider dating someone like him. And I think he is full of himself, but I just feel bad for him. I mean, he's doing the apple picking. He, you know, God, it was just so sad. He's making the pie. He's trying to like put his head on Molly's shoulder every once in a while. But I think he's just he, again, she's just not that into him and he's just too goofy and weird for her. And nothing he does is going to change that. And until she admits that it's not going to happen, there is no spark there and nothing she does is going to ignite a spark. 
it's just going to be painful to watch. And it is. Every scene with them is just painful to watch. It's not as painful to watch as the apple picking of Evelyn and David on 90 Day Fiance. That was the ultimate pain, but also hilarious. This apple picking was just like the sad apple picking. Ryan and Jacqueline, they celebrated their one month anniversary by Ryan taking Jacqueline to an indoor soccer park and having a picnic on a towel afterward when they were sweaty and sitting there in tank tops. Kill me, really kill me if I have to ever do anything like this with anyone. If my husband or even like random boyfriend back in the day would have taken me to a soccer park, well, first of all, they would have never done that because they would have known who they were dating. And I'm not a soccer park kind of girl. I would be like, and we're done. Especially if they were the soccer coach and I'd never played before and they wanted to like show me their moves, their sweet soccer moves. Oh my God. Oh no, this is, I don't know. I almost would rather do paintball because then I could at least hurt the guy if I could aim right. But the soccer thing, that one month anniversary was El Depresso. Jeffy and Shawnee, they were my speed. I liked, you know, apple picking, sad, indoor soccer, vile. Jeffy and Shawnee, they went out to a nice dinner like normal people, not monsters, do. And I thought it was really sweet. Again, Jeff D., who are you? He's giving Shanice these really tender gifts, you know, like the Mr. and Mrs. What's their name? Pierre, I think. It's a really good last name. And he gave her the snow globe. I mean, that's a nice man. And then I found out on the after show, he's not only a teacher, but he also works at a residential home. So he maybe is an assistant there or getting some extra money doing that. But, you know, to be a teacher from one teacher to another, you do have to have, you you have to have that caretaker sensibility about you. You do have to have empathy and God, why was he such a dirtbag at the beginning when this nice, genuine, cool guy was underneath? Did he get a bad edit or what the hell happened here? Again, I'm just shooketh over the whole transformation of Jeff D. But if this is who he really is, then I'm so happy for Shawnee. And I'm actually thinking maybe they will last, even though she gave him socks. That was like really pretty terrible. And even though we're seeing next week in previews that they're allowed to get a hold of each other's phones. And I think Shawnee might find something in there. I mean, who, what kind of monster producers decided that this was a good idea? Also, though, I mean, to give your phones to one another to dig through. You can also see previews of John threatening Molly. Like, if you dig through my phone, we're done. It, oh, my God. I don't know. This is not that's not a good idea. That's a total it's a great reality TV move, but it's not a good idea for a relationship to last. Anyway, I am still thinking, despite the indoor soccer practice, that Ryan and Jacqueline might be the ones to make it because, again, Ryan has enough obsession for both of them, although Jacqueline seems to be getting pretty tired of him and his ADD ways because that guy definitely is ADD. But hey, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm definitely watching this to the end, and I'm definitely going to watch this again next season. This is my first season of ever watching Married at First Sight. I'd heard about it before. I think I'm going to go back and watch season two because some of you guys have been telling me that's the season that is so epic because everybody like just fucking hates each other. Um, correct me if I'm wrong though. Somebody reach out to me and tell me what season I should watch, but I'm kind of, I'm really liking it. It's a different flavor of reality TV than the other shows that I'm constantly obsessed with. So I like it, you know, um, moving to our last subject, which is, you know, not to end on a downer, but it's Waco and it's the series that I really Oh God, I have so many thoughts about, I might actually do a bonus episode where I talk a little bit more in depth about this because I just want to touch on a few things from the series and I'd love to carry on more of a conversation about it over on Facebook. 
As you know, if you know anything about what went down in Waco, there is a lot of mystery surrounding how all of those people died at the end of the 51-day siege. A fire broke out after the feds pumped tear gas into the compound because the Davidians were refusing to come out. Apparently, Koresh was in there recording and transcribing his thoughts on the seven seals, which was his his huge belief system that he thought he was a prophet of. You know, he's obviously was disturbed on many levels. But he, according to this movie, which again was based on two books, one, the FBI agents, and two, the um, one of the people in the Branch Davidians, David Thibodeau who's played by a Culkin. Someone pointed that out. I was like, oh my God, that's Rory Culkin. What? Anyway, it's based on these two books. So according to the movie version, David Koresh was writing this and having it transcribed and saying he would come out once it was done. But the feds got, (laughs) bad pun, fed up with him stalling for time as they saw it. And so they decided to pump tear gas into the compound. Now, I wrote an article for 22 Words a few weeks back about, there's like 25 facts about David Koresh, his cult, and what happened at the siege. So if you want to look that up, if you go onto 22 Words and click on any of my articles and just click on my name, you're going to, you can see my whole list of pieces. And something interesting I discovered was that Janet Reno at the time signed off on this for the feds to pump the tear gas into the compound because they told her there was no other option that there, and also that the children inside were being abused. Now, there were allegations of child abuse going on in the compound, but they were never proven. The state of Texas actually opened and closed a case prior to this siege where someone else was accusing the compound of doing horrible things to children, and there was no proof the children were not being abused, according to the state. So the feds essentially what we're being led to believe, lied to Reno to get this tear gas signed off on. She since has stated that she regrets ever signing off on that. Of course, I mean, so many children and adults died in that fire. And the fire, in my mind, was a direct result of that tear gas being pumped in. They showed at the end of the film a local radio host going down the list of all the times tear gas was used to get people out of buildings and fires were almost always the result. So the fact that they did this without considering the fact that the whole place might go up in flames is hideous. It's hideous. It's so disturbing to me. The miniseries finale was so difficult to watch because they really showed the last moments of the people inside them putting on their gas masks and the women and children going down into a bunker and then not being able to escape. They actually showed this moment. I don't know if it's true or not. And Meg point, a listener pointed this out to, is this true that what the federal agent who decided to pump the tear gas in, he actually tried to save one of these women through kind of a crack into the bunker, but couldn't. And so he saw her die If that's true, that takes it to another level of horror. Um, God, it's just so many thoughts. I'll give you my personal take on it. Watching this, not not to dramatically insert myself into something that has nothing to do with me, but as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast since the beginning, I was born into a cult that while it wasn't a Branch Davidian setup, it looked very much like the Branch Davidians to the outside world. It was called the Kobu. We lived communally, all together, very isolated from other people. No one really knew what was going on. It was led by a guy named Stuart Trail. The Kobu stands for Church of Bible Understanding, for those of you who haven't been listening since the beginning. My parents left it before I was four years old, so I have very limited memories. I have really good memories of it. I've said that many times because it was all the women and children together and it was fun for a kid, but I didn't know the inner workings of what was really going on with the leader who was totally oppressive, Stuart Trail, and really using everyone there to fill his bank account with a lot of money, which he still has to this day. 
But what we looked like to the outside world could have been, really could have been, you know, a dangerous cult. I mean, because it, it truly was a cult. And, you know, even my parents can admit that now, and most people who've left it can. And I learned way after my family left that the leader did start stockpiling weapons. Oh my God, these leaders are all the same. Now, is it illegal to have weapons? No. But what does it look like to the government when you start stockpiling weapons? That is not a good look for anyone. Then I think about, God, but I was one of those children. I didn't know what the fuck the leader was doing. I didn't have any choice about being there. And would my parents have been people who would have stayed had we come under siege? Would they have had the strength to walk out? I mean, as you're watching this Waco series, all you can all you can keep saying as the siege goes on and on and on is, why aren't these people leaving? Walk out. But then I remember back to what it was like to be a part of a community who already felt misunderstood by the outside world and in the case of the Branch Davidians, really were betting on the end of the world coming. That was their ideology. So the government pulling up in ta- with tanks just fed right into that ideology. It's like, oh, this is the end of the world. David Koresh told us this is what's going to happen, and it's happening. I mean, it almost like it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's so sad to me. It was just so tragic to watch. Were they questionable in there? Yes. Was David Koresh a piece of shit on many levels? Yes. Did they deserve to die? No. No, 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 no. And sadly, many of them died because they were believing a lie and because they felt like they were left without choices. The government's role in this is so heinous to me and flawed And of course, a little bit sympathetic too, because they didn't know if they were going to be attacked by the Davidians. They were already gunned down once when they went in with their own guns. I mean, it was just a shit show. But my God, it shows what can happen when you really don't understand the other side. And neither side understood one another. The guy who wrote the book from the federal agent side stalling for time, Gary Newsom, I think his name was, he really was the only one invested in peacefully ending this. And his book, Stalling for Time, he recounts how that's just what he was doing. He was trying to broker peace by talking, but the government didn't like the way it looked, how long the siege was lasting and how it wasn't coming to a resolution. And they thought they were looking weak. And so it really is about ego. It's about the ego of a cult leader. It's about the ego of the government and the kids and the adults who are caught in the crossfire, some of whom had no decision-making powers at all, especially those children. So sad, so heartbreaking. Such a riveting series, though. I'm so glad I watched it, even though it tore my heart out into a million pieces I'm very glad I watched it because there's so much I didn't know, and I did a lot of reading about it behind the scenes. And if you go onto Paramount Network's website, you can actually see a lot of extra video footage and interviews with the real people who lived it. And I'd really encourage you, if you have any interest in this story, the tragedy of what happened, or knowing more than you know just from what was on the news, to not only watch the series, but take a look at those videos on there. All right, so I'm going to have to decide what cult we will delve into next, but I think I'm going to take a little break from that and go back into ghost stories because I've given you one from my own life. But what I'd like to do now is a ghost story roundup. Many of you reached out to me after I shared the story of Rose and told me your own brushes with the paranormal, the supernatural, whatever you want to call it. I would love to hear more of those. If you have a great ghost story, for lack of a better term, reach out to me and give it to me. And I'm going to read some of those on the upcoming podcasts. And I'm also going to be exploring 
Ghosts of the Midwest. That's where I am now. And I found a book this past month that looks really interesting. And I'm going to do a little bit of a, maybe a shallow dive in there and pull out some of the best ones I can find. And we're going to get into some fun stuff in that world. So until next week, I will ask you once again to follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Erin Leah Martin. Take a look at my writing on realitytea.com or 22words.com. I've been publishing some fun reality TV articles. And also catch me on The Jenny McCarthy Show every week, Sirius Channel 109. And last of all, I've told you a million times, if you haven't done it yet, join the Facebook group. It's fun. Don't question it too much. I'm not even a big Facebook user, but groups are fun. So go ahead and get over there. We'd love to see you. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for all the reviews and ratings you've left on iTunes. If you haven't yet, I would so appreciate you taking a moment to do that. It's helping the podcast spread the word and get out there so other fans of reality TV, cults, ghost stories, what have you, can find me. Until next time, I love you guys, and I will see you in reality. 